let's turn in our Bibles to the chapter in God's Word which we read, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, and let's read again verse 8. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And as God would help us, I would just like to concentrate on that last phrase. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What exactly does the word unsearchable mean? It's only twice, the original is only twice in the Bible. Uh, once here, translated unsearchable, and once in your, your version of the Bible, the other time it is translated inscrutable. The older versions would have past finding out. The riches of Christ that are past finding out. Our dictionaries, modern day dictionaries, would use the word unfathomable, untraceable, inexplicable, inexhaustible, incalculable, and illimitable. That's how modern day thesaurus, that's the alternative words our English language would use today. But you know, our Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is God. And therefore, his attributes are infinite and eternal. His riches are infinite and eternal. They are without limit and they're without end. Now, if you say, well, I can't get my head around that, that's the nearest you'll get to it. Because the finite, finite beings cannot grasp what's infinite. And we can't grasp it, but we must attempt to give the glory that is due to Christ and to God. So let's try and look at the riches which are Christ's. They're infinite and they're eternal. Let's start with his knowledge. Christ's knowledge. Jesus Christ knows everything there is to know about everything there is. I'll repeat that. Jesus Christ knows everything there is to know about everything there is. Now that's, a, that's staggering. Jesus Christ knows about every living cell in your body and in my body. I've been to, I read that one cell, what, 
A cell is more complex than all the intricacies involved in the running of New York City. Every cell in our bodies more intricate than all that's involved in the running of New York City. I've read that. I can't remember was it a scientific journal or not. But do you know how many cells there are in the human body? 10,000 billion. Christ knows every single thing there is to know about every single cell in your body. The unsearchable knowledge of Christ. Christ knows everything that there is to know about history. All the secrets of history. All the unsolved murders. All the false convictions. All the occasions when you and I have had to say, well, we'll have to leave it until the next world until we know exactly what happened. Christ knows every detail of history. Christ knows everything there is to know about the future. World events, international affairs, global crisis. He knows all there is to know about the future. He knows if there's going to be a referendum. He knows what the result is going to be. He knows all that's going on in the White House. He knows how long President Trump will last. Everything there is to know, Christ knows. Now, if Christ only knew what I mentioned, then his knowledge is not infinite. It would be limited and it would be quantifiable if that's all he knew. Oh, it's massive, but it'd be quantifiable. You could measure it. A massive amount, but it could be measured. The knowledge of Christ is infinite and eternal, immeasurable. You cannot say he has this much knowledge or you're limiting to that. There is no boundary to Christ's knowledge. So my friend, if you're here tonight and you're saying, I wonder does Jesus know all that I'm going through? That's bordering on blasphemy. Bordering on it. Christ knows everything. 
about everything there is. That's the riches of his knowledge. Let's move on to his wisdom. The Bible speaks about the riches of his wisdom. The first question we ask him, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? A wisdom is more than knowledge. I like the definition. It is the correct response to information. The correct reaction to knowledge. You're given information. You're given knowledge. But you might... I, I remember one of this. Someone I loved, who was actually a relative of mine, I loved him. Very, very clever. Very, very smart person. But he no wisdom. Very clever. Very smart. But he no wisdom. Wisdom is the response, the wise response to knowledge, to information. There's no one like Christ when it comes to that. Every event of providence is monitored by the wisdom of Christ. From the sparrow falling from a tree we don't know exists to what goes on in the White House. He, Christ, is monitoring every little detail. Every event. Let me tell you, as he monitors the world, as he orchestrates his agenda, his agenda. You see, haven't we, haven't we said, what on earth is going on? This is what's going on. Christ is fulfilling his agenda. As he monitors the events of providence, nothing is out of sync. Nothing is behind schedule. God never runs late. God is never in a hurry. Oh, he acts swiftly. Oh, he acts speedily. He's never rushed. He's never pushed for time. This is, this is the great Christ created all things. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all involved in creation. Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1.31, I think it is, is said to be the wisdom of God. He is said to be the wisdom of God. Why is that? Because I speak reverently. In a past eternity, when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for lack of a better term, were planning the world and what was going to take place, when they planned salvation, they had a problem, reverently speaking, 
He had a problem. How could God say, the soul that sins shall die and yet take sinners to heaven without breaking his own laws, without breaking his own principles, without God changing his mind? That was the problem facing them. He had said, sin must be punished with death. And then he wanted these sinners to be in heaven with him. How does he do it without changing his mind? That's why Christ is called the wisdom of God. Christ is the answer. Christ is the solution. That's why as we mentioned in the morning, we have to be in Christ. Christ takes our punishment. Christ take our, takes our sin. And we take Christ's righteousness. So God can look upon us and say truthfully, truthfully, I don't see one thing wrong with you. I only see the righteousness of my Son. Christ is the wisdom of God. Now, if that was the limit of Christ's wisdom, then Christ would merely be the wisest man in the world. Merely. That's all he would be. But his wisdom is inscrutable unsearchable, inexhaustible, far, far greater than that. If you are here tonight, and you are a Christian, all that wisdom is working on your behalf. All that wisdom is behind you. Whatever problem you get yourself into, if you're a Christian, Christ is the wisdom, is in infinite wisdom. And he can get you out of that predicament, out of that hole. But if you're not a Christian, if you're here tonight, and you're not a Christian, all that wisdom is against you. You'll never survive. You'll never succeed. You'll never get over it. Because Christ is the wisdom of God. Unsearchable, inscrutable, illimitable wisdom. You can't put a boundary on it. Whatever boundary you put on it, he exceeds it. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Then let's take the riches of his power. His power. As we indicated already, he created everything simply by speaking. We talk about energy today. How's this for energy? Calling something into existence. 
in the beginning God said, let there be, and there was. God called matter into existence. That's creation. And the original word for create is never ever used in the Bible of anyone except God. Because only God can bring something out of nothing. God's voice. Let's just speak about his voice. And that's why we sang in Psalm 29. The Lord's voice on the waters is the God of majesty. Therefore, a powerful voice it is that comes out from the Lord most high. Verse 5, the voice of the eternal doth asunder cedars tear. We sang it. Verse 7, God's voice divides the flames of fire. There's further, verse 9, God's voice does make the hinds to calves. God determines all these things. Every minute detail is determined by God. It's part of Christ's running of the world, as it were. He has been given the throne because he is the, the person of the Godhead who took the sins of his people. And he is on the throne now. Do you remember when he wasn't walking on earth? His voice calmed the storm, the winds and the sea. Not just the wind, but the wind and the sea. That's why, as we know, those who are worried about the ferry sailing, the wind can stop, but the sea is rough for 24 hours afterwards. Christ didn't just address the wind. He addressed the sea. He spoke. And the wind and the sea, our Bible tells us, was calm. His voice cast out demons. Do you remember when he raised the dead? Do you remember that funeral Christ attended? Lazarus. He went into the sepulchre. I'm sure he was facing the corpse, the body of of Lazarus. He didn't say, come forth. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Because there was so much power in his voice that everyone in the whole cemetery would have risen. The voices of Christ so powerful. We're talking about power. The power in the North Sea, down in these all, the energy there. Who placed them there? Christ. And he hides it for two thousand, for thousands of years. He hides it from us and then he reveals it to these researchers and archaeologists. There's energy down there. Who, who put them there? Christ put them there. He knows exactly the spots where the energy is. It's all his. You see, it is important. All power resides in Christ. He delegates power to people and to authorities. And isn't it amazing he was crucified. Someone, one of the four soldiers crucifying him, 
one soldier must have held his hand on the ragged cross and got a nail and a mallet and hammered, hammered the nail through his hands and his feet. Where did that soldier get the power and the energy to do that? You know where from? From Christ himself. You know, I speak reverently that Christ was, I speak reverently, running the show at the crucifixion. Do you remember on the cross? Her John 19, I think it is, says, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, said, I thirst. Knowing that all things were now accomplished. What was going on in his mind that he was being crucified? All the prophecies, all the predictions that were made about his crucifixion in the Old Testament. And he was going along in his mind. That's fulfilled. That's fulfilled. That's fulfilled. That's fulfilled. That's fulfilled. Now, I don't know. But maybe from the cross he saw down there the sour wine, the vinegar. And he remembered a prophecy. It is written. They gave him vinegar to drink. And he was on the cross there saying, they're not fulfilling that prediction. I'll have to make them give me the vinegar to drink. And that's why in John 19, I think it is, we have it. Knowing that all things were now accomplished, he said, I thirst. Oh, and they ran and got the vinegar and gave it to him. He was orchestrating it all from the cross. The riches of Christ. The power to, to run the agenda when he's being crucified. There's another term in the Bible. The riches of his goodness. Now just think of a person with all that power, with all that knowledge, with all that wisdom. Just imagine if such a person was spiteful. Well, you wouldn't like to meet him, would you? Imagine such a person had a chip on his shoulder, as we say. Imagine such a person with all that power and intelligence and he's, he's prejudiced. Well, here's the good news. Christ is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Quite different from you and me. The riches of his goodness. Because he's holy, do you know this? He cannot overlook your sin. Because he's holy. If he overlooked your sin, he wouldn't be holy. If he said, well, I will pretend this person didn't do that. That's not justice. That's not justice. That's not right. That's not holiness. He's holy. He cannot overlook your sin. 
He cannot pretend it didn't happen. But isn't it wonderful? He can't forget it. He can't take your sin, every sin you've ever committed, and he can place it on the head of Jesus Christ and Christ the Savior. That's why Christ can say to you and me in the gospel tonight, just come to me. Just come to me. The riches of his goodness, he can say to anyone, anywhere, just come to me and all is forgiven. Forgiveness involves the full payment of the debt owed. Forgiveness is not equivalent to writing off a debt. Writing off a debt is not justice. Christ paid the debt of sin with his own life, with his own blood, with his own flesh, his own suffering. Your sin has been paid for if you're a Christian. It's been paid for. It's not written off. It's been paid for. The gospel is wonderful. The riches of Christ's goodness. He can come to you and say, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Just Come to me and all is forgiven. The past, the present, yes, and the future, all forgiven. Christ, the riches of his goodness. But the Bible also speaks about the riches of his grace. Now, what's the difference? Where do you start? Well, it's... We have to... Grace is actually a very... I shouldn't project onto you my own problems, my own weakness. It's a very difficult thing to grasp. God is under no obligation to forgive anyone. Understand that. If he is, then that's justice. You should do it. Well, that's justice. Grace is the opposite of justice. It's what you don't deserve. I I found it very helpful to be told. Justice is getting what you deserve. That's justice. Getting what you deserve. Okay? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. See? You deserve to be punished. But it's merciful of God that you're not punished. That's mercy. But we're not talking about mercy. We're talking about grace. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's getting heaven as well. 
Salvation is not Christ coming to you and saying, look, you come to me and I'll wipe your slate clean. You'll be forgiven everything you've done. But then you're left in your own. Then you're left in your own. That will be mercy. Oh, that will be mercy. But the gospel is your past, your present, your future is all atoned for and you get heaven into the bargain. It's not just you're not punished in a lost eternity. It's that you also get heaven what you don't deserve. Grace is, is different, so different from, from, from justice. There's a story told, now I can't tell you if it's true, but it certainly was told to me it's true. I can't remember, did I read it or did I hear it? But it's a wonderful illustration. Apparently Napoleon, on one occasion, there was a, a soldier that was condemned to death for treason. And the soldier's mother made a long, long journey to meet Napoleon and to plead with him. And she, she, got, she got an audience with Napoleon and he said, please, please, uh, show my son mercy. And Napoleon said, oh, why should I? He doesn't deserve it. Oh, she said, if he deserved it, I'd be asking for justice. I'm asking for mercy. I'm asking for grace as well. See the difference? God is under no obligation to show mercy, except that he promised he would. He promised he'd show mercy to those who ask for it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that grace? Isn't it wonderful? That simply by believing on Jesus Christ, even at the end of our days, at the end of our lives, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are made more perfect through believing on Jesus. We're made more perfect than if we kept God's law perfectly all our lives. You see, that's not fair. No, it's grace. It's grace. It's what you don't deserve. Isn't that wonderful? Put your trust in Jesus. And in God's sight, you're more perfect than if you kept God's law perfectly throughout your whole life. My friend, that's the only way we're going to get to heaven. There is no other way we're going to make it. But isn't it wonderful? We can make it in one moment. Through faith. By trusting Christ. In one moment. We can be made perfect. How's that for a challenge? How's that for the gospel? How's that for grace? Isn't it wonderful? Well, our time's up. Just two things in conclusion. If you are not a Christian, remember this. One day, 
you have to meet Jesus Christ. And you'll have to tell him why you weren't interested in him. We've tried to mention two or three of his riches. If you're not interested, that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. You'll have to meet him one day and explain to his face why you're not interested in what he did at the place called Calvary. But why would we end on a negative note? Here's the last thing. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 12 that Christ, this man, this God-man we've been trying to speak about, listen carefully, he bestows his riches on all that call upon him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what condition you're in. Call upon him. And all his riches will be at your disposal. Will be bestowed upon you. Romans 10 verse 12. That's the gospel. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of his grace in one moment by faith can belong to you. May God the Holy Spirit make his word effectual to every one of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven we bow our heads now and ask that you might be pleased to take the things of Christ and to make them ours. To bestow his riches upon us because we call upon him. We remember what your word says. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. O oh Lord, number us amongst those who call upon your name. Hear us in mercy. Answer us in peace. Because we pray only in Christ's name. Amen. We'll conclude our service of worship by singing again from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 21, on page 225 of the praise book, page 225, Psalm 21, and we sing verses marked 5 to 8. Psalm 21, verse 5. In that salvation wrought by thee, his glory is made great. Honour and comely majesty thou hast upon him set. Verse 8. Thine hand shall all those men find out the enemies are to thee. 
even thy right hand shall find out those of thee that haters be. Psalm 21, verses 5 to 8. In Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.